talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Fella, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie. Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of the Shoeless Goat Podcast. We're a Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast. I'm your host, Nick. I'm back after a week hiatus. I was working Sunday Night Baseball, and I am joined by the mayor of Section 509, Patrick Bovard. Pat, how are you doing today? You know what, Nick? I'm doing really okay. That's just okay. I want to make that clear. Not like, a, oh, okay, I'm doing great. It's a very okay day. Uh, rough Sox game today, but overall a good week. Um, yeah, so extremely adequate. Yeah, I wish I could say the same, but in any case, this is episode 13, so we will give this episode to my boy Starlin Castro and your boy Ozzy Guillen, I think would be yeah. the appropriate uh, shout-out, correct? Yeah, off the top of my head, I'm not thinking of any other 13s of note. I'm sure there's some I'm forgetting, but yeah. Gotta go with Ozzy. Next week's gonna be a big week for us. Oh yeah, you're right. Fourteen, that's a big number. Ernie Banks. Re- recapping the Crosstown Cup on fourteen, that'll be good. Yeah, it, the stars are aligning. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're gonna start off the same way we always do. Um, we'll start off with the White Sox. How'd they do this week, Pat? Oh, like I kind of alluded to in my opening, they were extremely okay this week. Uh, went three and three on the week. So the theme of this week for us is five hundred. Started off the week with a two-game series against the Nationals, split that 1-1. Monday, they just got killed 12-1, to so just a really bad game. Uh, really, I mean, there really wasn't much offense going around. Uh, that was Odris Sommer to Spain. I'm pronouncing that wrong day. His debut with the Sox after getting signed, uh, which led to the release of Nicky Delmonico. He did not do well. Biggest thing in that game, though, was Yoan Moncada leaving with upper back tightness, which kept him out the rest of the week until Sunday, which is when we're recording. Uh, so, you know, mentioned mentioned in an earlier White Sox, third baseman having back injuries is a big, uh, big scare word. So definitely keeping an eye on that. Tuesday was a much better game. 7-5 win against the Nationals. Uh, they took a 4-2 lead in the first, so really never looked back from there. Um, they had a grand slam from Wellington Beef Castillo. Beef Wellington, if we're going to get technical. In the first, uh, Eloy then hit his first career home run at guaranteed rate field, which was a 462-foot just rocket to center field up to the fan deck, which I can't remember seeing a ball ever get hit up that way before, so that was crazy to watch. Manny Banuelos that game had a very, you know, he did fine. He kept him in check. That's really all they needed out of him. And then Marshall Herrera and Kalume shut the door. Uh, Wednesday, we had an off day and then picked it back up Thursday against the Yankees. Uh, won the first game 5-4 after falling behind 4-0. Uh, biggest runs in that game was a Tim Anderson three-run homer and a Larry Garcia RBI double, and then another homer run in the seventh that ended up being the game winner. Uh, much like most of our starting pitchers, Ivan Nova kept him in check, four earned runs in five and two-thirds. Uh, bullpen from there shut him down. With uh, Aaron Bummer earning his first career save Friday, Another great game, 10-2 win, just an absolute explosion offensively. Eloy, uh, like in April, had two home runs against the April, uh, against the Yankees. He had three run homers in the first and the sixth, so six RBIs. Abreu added a couple RBIs. And for once in like two months, a game Lucas Giolito pitched in, he was not the uh, biggest star. He did fine. It was you know six innings, six strikeouts to four walks. Not his best stuff, but ended up only giving one earned run. So not his best stuff, but... If that's not his best stuff, I'll certainly take it. 
Uh, and then that's where the Yankee series fell off. Saturday was a four, eight loss. Uh, Reynaldo Lopez looked inconsistent and just really couldn't get much going. Our offense was okay. Uh, but we had 16 strikeouts, so you're not going to do much with that. McCann had a home run near the end, but that was really about it. Uh, and then Sunday's game was at another loss to the Yankees, 3-10 on Father's Day. Jumped out to a one nothing lead uh, in the first inning on an Abreu home run. So, you know, looked like maybe we're going to close this home stretch at 500. Uh, that was not to be the next inning. Uh, Yankees scored, or, I'm sorry, in the third, the Yankees scored five. They ended up going up you know, seven, they got up to 10 to one. So not the best game. Uh, McCann added another home run, but another Odris mayor Despain. And again, I know I'm not pronouncing that right start and just nothing to show for it. So ended the week on a three and three record to bring us to 34 and 36, which for those of you keeping score at home is three and a half back in the wild card. Awesome. Two takeaways from that one. We're forgetting a very important thing is that Lucas Giolito got his 10th win making him the first in the majors to do yep. so. Um, and if you bet that early in the year, he would have made a boatload of money. Neither of us did. We should have. Oh, absolutely. And then I guess, you know, another league leader, you got Jose Abreu leading the AL and RBIs as well as barrels for uh, the you sabermetrically minded folks. Give me another first baseman that should be starting the all-star game and I'll call you a liar in the AL. Yeah, there's nobody. Yeah, definitely. Okay, second thing with the Sox. It seems like besides Gilito, every single one of their starters just misses out on a quality start, which makes me think that we should give a new name for it. Maybe like adequate start or like Dece start or something yeah. like that. Yeah, like a very serviceable start. You know, some sort of like acronym because now stats are all going to those acronyms. You know, you got BABIP, WAR, what have you. So I think we got to come up with something because, I mean, not today and not a couple other days, but at least most of the days they're giving the offense a chance to win it, which I mean, given the rotation we have, is probably the best we can ask for. You're uh, forgetting TWTW, the will to win, as well as TWTW plus, which is something that only the Cardinals can quantify. And weighted TWTW plus, because you know you got to account for the park and league factors. Very, very important to look at things objectively. Very true. Okay, um, we're going to move on to the Cubs. A uh, little less than okay. Uh, two and four on the week. They're currently playing again on Sunday Night Baseball, which is getting really obnoxious. I'm getting tired of this. Uh, I like having Len and JD in the booth, and uh, I'm tired of waiting till 7 o'clock on Sunday to watch a game. Um, so two and four as of now. Could go three and four. It's currently tied 2-2 in the sixth inning uh, with the Dodgers, but we'll start at the beginning of the week. Monday, tough loss, 6-5. They took a lead uh, into I believe it was the eighth or ninth inning. Uh, they took the lead away and gave it right back up in the ninth inning to lose on a, I believe Daniel Murphy walk-off hit, which is, you know, something we're used to hearing. Uh, so it's a six, five loss. You Darvish did okay. Um, had a lot of strikeouts and then uh, the bullpen blew it. So it's a tough loss, especially away in Colorado. Those tight games usually aren't so tight in that park. Uh, Tuesday was just a route 10, three Quintana looks one of the worst uh, is about as bad as he has um, in recent memory. He started off so strong and I was kind of falling off, but he's pitching currently right now uh, against the Dodgers and doing decent. Uh, we'll talk about that game in just a second. Um, got the first win to salvage, not getting swept um, against the Rockies on Wednesday, a 10, one win. Um, the balls were just flying all over the place. That's classic Colorado for you. Cole Hamels has currently been our stopper um, making sure 
that the sweep did not happen. The changeup was looking good as usual. It's been absolutely nasty. Thursday was a tough one. Cubs come out early uh, to a 3 nothing lead against Clayton Kershaw, which you would think, you know, when that guy's on the mound, you can get three runs. You should be able to, uh, you got to be able to hold that. Lester did not do that. Had a couple bad innings, uh, two two-run homers in the same inning. Uh, Cubs end up losing that one 7-3. Lester takes the L. Kershaw takes the W. Friday, probably the toughest one, and it wasn't because of the score or anything. 5-3 loss uh, to the Dodgers. Hendricks goes out on the IL with a shoulder injury, which is the last thing you want to hear. We've said it a couple times on this podcast over and over again. I think he is the ace of the squad in a uh, rotation full of B-plus and A-minus pitchers. So to lose him is really tough, and I'm very curious to see how they replace him. They could either use Tyler Chatwood, Mike Montgomery, or there are also talks of bringing up one of the top pitching prospects, Adbert Alzole. I, I think I'm pronouncing that right as well, but we'll see. Um, so I'd be curious to see if they brought him up uh, to get a little bit of time with him. Uh, Saturday was a very exciting, well-pitched game. You Darvish looked pretty good. Um, they were down one nothing in the ninth inning. Chris Bryant gets hit by a pitch by Kenley Jansen, who came out to close the game. And then Anthony Rizzo goes yard in the ninth. Uh, is Also as impressive was Pedro Strobe coming in the ninth and pretty much shutting him down in about two minutes. It was just not a couple ground balls. It was really fast. And for a guy who knows he's about to lose his, his role in about a week or two, it's good to see him uh, going out there and still trying really hard and getting super excited. I'm also really curious to see if he gets as excited, if he shuts down the eighth inning as he does when he gets the, gets the save because he's always jumping up and down and pumping his chest and going crazy. So I'd like to see that. Uh, currently right now, as I last checked, it was 2-2 in the sixth. Uh, the first run by the Dodgers came on a bases-loaded walk in like the second inning. So Quintana looked to be um, doing what he did earlier in the week and kind of struggling, but then he kind of settled in. It's two, like I said, two-two now. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you've got the stellar ESPN squad commentating it, so um, usually it's on mute for me. But uh, we're hoping that the Cubs can make it three-four uh, on the week instead of two and five. And if they do win today, they win the season series against the Dodgers because they took two of three against them at home earlier in April. So a lot to be desired. Uh, they're still well in the playoff hunt. I believe they were either tied or within a game going into this game today, depending on what the uh, Brewers did today. So no time for panic. Uh, I think the dog days of summer are starting a little early for the Cubs, but hopefully that means that their playoff push starts a little earlier too. Yeah, I guess first I'll start with the more non-baseball side of things that uh, the continued Sunday night scheduling, which I agree though. It's, it's brutal. Um, just you having to play Sunday night every week it's just as a as from a fan perspective it's just i don't know sunday nights there's things i'd rather be doing than having to stay up late to watch a game but i guess you know when espn wants you know the cubs dodgers yankees red Sox, and like maybe the astros sprinkled in there once a month that's i guess bound to happen uh, i guess you know the dodgers was a good barometer series uh if they can squeak one out today and split with them that's i think you'll take that given where you know the season's at right now just keeping things even. And yeah, from the bullpen, I mean, at this point, you're basically just in a holding pattern until uh, Craig Kimbrell gets up and then the whole thing shuffles around. But as long as you can, you know, stay within striking distance, then you base you add like a top line closer, you're in good shape. Yeah, I'd like to see them bring up Dylan Maples for yeah. the bullpen for the seventh inning. So you go Maples, Strope, 
and then Kimbrel to close it out. I'm pretty done with the Steve Ciszek experiment. He was pretty good last year, but Madden worked him like a dog. I think he had like 60 innings out of the pen or something like that. And it's hard to keep up after that. But anyway, moving on, that was our week recap. We're going to go to the big stories of the week now. We're going to start with you, Pat. What is the big story for the White Sox? So I got two, maybe not huge stories. So we're going to say two medium-sized stories to fit into that big story slot. First off, I'm going to go with the bad. Uh, and that's Yoan Moncada's back injury, which, like I said, after Joe Creedy, uh, as a White Sox fan hearing our third baseman has a uh, back tightness that sets off a bunch of red flags. He, uh, like I said, he met, he left Monday's game. And then what I did not mention in the recap was that Sunday's game, he came back finally. Uh, there was a lot of excitement for this game. It was a sellout, 37,000 plus, trying to go 500 by beating the Yankees. Didn't happen, but most importantly, he left the game with a ba- with a back injury. I want to say it was around the fourth inning where I was at the game and just looked down and all of a sudden Jose Rondon is at third, which I was like, well, that's, that's weird. Uh, eventually, they put out on Twitter, he again had upper back tightness. Uh, that's the reason he was pulled. Whether or not an IL stint is coming, I'm not sure. I I mean, as good as Moncada's been, I don't want them taking any chances. You know, you want to see him getting more at bats, but it, it, like messing around with a back injury is not something you want to do. That's something that can linger and can derail careers. So, grand scheme of things, I'm fine if they sit him for a little bit. So that's you know that's the bad side of the news. On the good side, I uh, got a little bit of a news dump this Sunday evening from the Sox. Uh, Wellington Castillo left the game. I believe it was a lower back stiffness. And they announced today they are calling up Zach Collins, the first-round pick out of Miami in 2016. Uh, he's a catcher, been in AAA this year, doing pretty well. Uh, you know, back in 2016 was one of the first, like, hyped prospects to kind of join in this rebuild wave. Uh, like I said, he's doing pretty good in AAA right now. He's hitting 258, which doesn't jump off the page, but he's got a 382 OBP, uh, decent slugging percentage, and then he's got nine home runs and 38 RBIs. A lot of people think long term he's going to slot in more as a first base DH type, but at this point in his career, I think you got to give him every opportunity to catch because if he can hit anything like that as a catcher, we'll take it. Uh, perhaps most impressive about him is his walk rate. Uh, right now, this year, he's at a, about a 17.6% walk rate, so he's got a good eye, strikes out a lot, and doesn't have the best average. But like I said, for a catcher, you kind of got to wait uh, those batting statistics a little bit given the grind of the position. And I think. You know, this is a prospect we wanted to see up, and he's going to get his shot. So what this means for Wellington Castillo moving forward, I don't know. When he gets healthy, is he going to come back given how good James McCann has been playing? I don't know. He's owed a lot of money, so we'll see. But overall, uh, exciting news to hear that uh, Zach Collins is coming up just in time for the BP Crosstown Cup at Wrigley. Love the uh, the sponsorship plug there, and we'll definitely get into that because it is one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, I kind of touched on my big story a little bit, so it will be uh, smaller than two mediums stories if we're going like McDonald's fry orders here. Um, Kyle Hendricks going out, shoulder injury. When a pitcher goes out you and you hear shoulder, you hear elbow, it's not good. You'd rather hear blister or... I guess like hamstring tightness or something like that. Um, I I think this might be a long one. I don't know. I didn't see it. He just kind of looked uncomfortable. So we'll see how this plays out. I'm more curious, again, who they're going to put in there. I'm all for giving Chatwood another shot. Kind of the Wellington Castillo argument is you're, you're paying him, so you should probably play him. And they are paying 
Tyler Chatwood quite a bit of money. He hits 96. He's a sinker ball pitcher. They've got a really good fielding infield. So I think that's a guy to put in there to bring up rookies right now. It's a little too tight, the division right now. I know it's early. I think the time to bring up rookies is later in the season when the formation of the standings is a little bit more clear. So that's kind of my take, but huge blow for the Cubs. Kyle Hendricks is, especially for an employee, is the favorite around the league or at least around the park because that game's going to be over in two hours and 25 minutes if he's doing exactly what he's been doing this year. So huge blow for the Cubs, and I'm just curious to see how Joe and, and company responds. And maybe if it is longer than they expected, they might actually go out and grab an arm. I would not be surprised if they, they did that based on uh, a couple of other factors too. And I'm maybe not Bumgarner, uh, but there's some other arms out there that are, that are worth plugging in in the meantime. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where their farm system stacks up right now, but I know, you know, the Indians are probably going to be looking to sell a couple arms. Uh, Apparently Carrasco is being shopped. I mean, he's going to cost a lot, so don't know how much they really want to go down that route. I guess it'll depend on how severe the injury is. Um, but I'd agree with you right now. Chatwood's probably your best bet. Uh, you know, people are going to be turned off by him last year. But, you know, hey, on the south side, that's where we were with Lucas Giolito. And, you know, who the only guy to walk more people than Lucas Giolito last year was? Tyler Chatwood. So if that trend is going to continue, he might be your race. So I don't know. But in all seriousness, I think unless you're going to go get somebody in a trade, that's your best option internally. Totally agree. Uh, middle of a playoff push in the middle of the season, you really just want to give guys that have experience. And then if it doesn't work out, just put them back in the bullpen. You're still early enough in the year where you can correct a mistake and it's not going to completely derail the, you know, the rest of the way. Yeah. The Cubs uh, losing the division in the fashion that they did last year has made it this year unbearable when talking to fans. Cause it, it truly is like, it's only one game. When you lose a game, it's like it's only one game. And the next words out of everybody's mouth is, "Well, we only—if we would have won one more game last year, we would have—we uh, would have won the division." But there was a bunch of games: Hayward Grand Slam against the Phillies, Bodie Grand Slam against the Nationals, where you weren't supposed to win those games anyway, and you did. So it goes both ways. I think it is early, and when you lose a game, it still is no big deal. Like it doesn't—that game 163 just does not happen. The run that the Brewers went on to close out the season does not always happen. The collapse that the Cubs had, if you can even call it a collapse, doesn't always happen. So I'm not worried about individual games. I'm, I like looking at uh, series as a whole. If you if you split or win a series consistently, you're going to make the playoffs. And that's the way I look at it. It's kind of like the Lovey Smith quarters of a season uh, technique. No, exactly. You still got a lot of baseball out to play. And I mean, it's the right way to look at it. Because if you go back to April, everybody was ready to bunch of people ready to crown that Mariners as the surprise team and now they're in last. So, you know, it's all about, it's all about sample size and on 162 game season, things are going to course correct. So, and like you said, you know, one more win, you're in the playoffs. Well, one more loss, you don't even get 163. So it's all, it's, it's all relative. It all adds up over the course of the year. Exactly. All right, moving on. We're going to do our player of the week. This one was tough for me because it was a tough week, but I'll start with you, Pat. Who do you got for your player of the week? Yeah, so in a shocking twist of events, for the first time in, I want to say, a month now, Lucas Giolito will not be getting this honor, uh, which is, you know, it makes my job a little bit harder because I have to actually look at other players. But who I'm giving it to shouldn't really come as a surprise. It's Eloy Jimenez. Uh, so he took the crown over. He had seven hits this week, uh, was hitting above 400 on the week until today where he went over four, but whatever, we're going to ignore that. Uh, had three home runs this week, including... 
uh, a 462 foot shot against the nationals that I mentioned earlier, uh, which I think the only other time I've seen somebody hit a ball anywhere near that was like Vlad. I'm like probably a ball that was two feet above his chest, but uh, he had two home other home runs against the Yankees. He had uh, eight RBIs on the week. Overall, just, you know, really impressive. Finally coming into his own, which is certainly good to see. Outside of that, you know, I mean, he's killing the ball when he hits it. He's in the top 10 right now at average home run distance, which for him, it's 424. Uh, if you're going a little bit more on the uh, stat cast side of things, he's in the 84th percentile for uh, exit velocity and 80th percentile for hard hit percentage. So, you know, he's really starting to come into his own, which is good to see. Earlier in the year, there was some trouble with breaking pitches, but his that average is slowly starting to creep up. He's finally hit him for power at home, which, you know, fans obviously want to see. But yeah, for all those reasons, he's the player of the week, I think. There weren't a ton of consistent bright spots across the board of this week, but out of everybody, Eloy certainly stood out as, you know, the star of the week. What percentage chance do you think Eloy Jimenez has of hitting a 500 foot homer this season? 500 foot. Well, he hit that 471 foot or like out, out into the solar system against Kansas city. I, some of those measurements, I'm not really sure because, you know, sometimes you see one that's like, man, that thing had to be like 490 and it's like 435. Then you see another one that's like, he doesn't seem that long. But in I'm digressing. I'm 500 feet. That's, I think, the longest they've ever recorded is like 416. So I'm going to say, I mean, just purely based off his swing and how effortless it looks, I'm going to give him like a, we'll go 30%. Yeah, I've, it's got to be the right scenario. It's got to be the right weather. It's got to be the right mm-hmm. wind conditions. It's got to be the right pitch. I got to check to see if we're playing in Colorado because that would probably be the uh, betting favorite for him. Yeah, and uh, the ball flies in Seattle really well too. So mm-hmm. I think Nelson Cruz hit a 500-foot home run last year at home. I know during batting practice he hit one out of the park, which is like a 580-foot home run, yep. but that was you know BP. Um, still, I, c- I couldn't do it. Player of the week for the Cubs for me is Anthony Rizzo. I The pitching didn't do it for me. I always just, the first thing we look at is the pitchers because that's the easiest to quantify. We don't have to go by day by day. We could just check one or two starts and say, yeah, that, that's the best player of the week. But Anthony Rizzo coming into today's game, eight hits on the week. Um, the biggest of being against Kenley Jansen, the home run uh, on Saturday night to win the game, essentially. Jansen has not been as effective as he has been in the past, but it doesn't matter because he came in to close out the game and Anthony Rizzo made sure that that did not happen ever since April's over Rizzo has been on fire. I still don't put him as my NL all-star first baseman. That's going to Josh bell. And that's how I voted it too. Uh, but Rizzo's uh, making me think twice. And honestly, if not a lot of Cubs or not a lot of white Sox get sent to Cleveland and get three days off, I'm pretty good with that. Yeah, I think, you know, that's a good way to look at it. Like, obviously, right now, from where the White Sox have been, I want a couple guys to be all-stars. I'm voting probably some fringe guys that don't belong there. And I think the Sox I'm voting for right now is Abreu, who I think, if you follow baseball, should be in. Um, who else am I voting for? Moncada, Anderson, McCann, and then White Sox Emeritus, Avi Garcia at the DH slot. But like you said, uh, Rizzo, he might not beat out Josh Bell. You know, Pete Alonso, uh, unfortunately not Yonder, is also having a big year. Um, at first base in the NL. So it's a lot tougher than first base in the AL. But like you said, I feel like when you're an established team like the Cubs, like accolades like that stop mattering as much as they used to like three, four years ago. 
So yeah, again, some guys a little bit more rest, never a bad thing, especially in a given like last year, you know, down the stretch, you had the Cubs with what was it like 40 games in 41 days. So I think catch a little bit more rest here. Yeah. Can't really complain too much about that. Yeah. I filled out my ballot and I actually had more white Sox than Cubs. It's just based on the makeup of positioning between the two leagues. I have Mancata, Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu were my votes in the AL and then Javi Baez and Contreras uh, were my Cubs votes in the NL. And that's just based on them being better than the other players. I think baseball fans are a little bit different than the other leagues where they actually think they're smart. We all think we're smart, even though we're not mm-hmm. that smart. And we try to vote in the guys that have the best stats and the best numbers. The sample sizes are there for us. So I think of all the all-star games, the best selected players are usually uh, usually baseball. It's going to be curious to see since they changed the format with the voting again once the top three are picked who gets to start so we'll see but you can do these things when the game doesn't count if the game did count like it did in the past then it's 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 just a little bit different with who gets to start and whatnot but we are moving on uh we will actually talk about the crosstown cup last but i want to jump to the linkedin player profile i'm so excited for mine which is why you're gonna go first pat who do you got this week fair enough so i'm going with uh uh one of a member of the 05 team. I'm going with a reliever, Cliff Polite. He was a setup guy that year, setting up Bobby Jenks, Dustin Hermanson, the whole gamut of them. So let's start at the beginning. 1995, he is a 54th, so 5'4 round pick by the Cardinals. So that, like, I mean, I don't even think they have 54 rounds anymore. So that in itself is crazy. I think to me, what's crazier, he made the majors four years later at 24. So went from a 54th round pick to in the majors at 24. Uh, didn't really do much with the Cardinals. Was traded the next year to the Phillies before the 99 season. Uh, kind of got a little bit better each year with the Phillies and then was traded to the Blue Jays in 02. And then prior to 04 was signed by the White Sox as a free agent. One of the reasons I wanted to go with Cliff Pleat was much like the White Sox, the best year of his career was 2005 and then he kind of fell off into oblivion. So in 05, he appeared in 68 games. A uh, little over 67 innings pitch, went 7-1 and one with a 2.0 ERA, a whip of like .936, and appeared three times in the World Series. So obviously a career year. His career numbers were like 22 and 23, a 1.4 almost four whip, uh, 4.4 ERA. So nothing special. Um, but, you know, in 05, he was special. So that's why I love him. Uh, n- the next year with the Sox, uh, in 06, he was DFA'd after having an 8.7 ERA. So... Not the best. Uh, never appeared in the majors after that. Bounced it around the minors a little bit. Uh, Indians back to the Cardinals to close out his career. So I guess he retired as a Cardinal for life. Um, had a couple shoulder injuries, so never really could get that velocity back. After baseball, he kind of worked with the Indians for a little bit uh, in spring training. Did some work with their minor league teams like a lot of former players do, but never took a full-time gig. Uh, currently lives in St. Louis and now getting to the LinkedIn side of things. Uh, he's Owns his own company, Bullpen Promos. So apt name there. What they do is a lot of like promotional stuff. So like you want your company's logo on something, they'll put it on it. Uh, so that's his business. He also, according to LinkedIn, uh, works for Pipe and Duct Systems LLC as a sales manager, uh, which they do a lot of fire safety stuff, sprinklers, water systems, foam, uh, all sorts of stuff. So interesting career choice from a guy who went, you know, relieving games, saving the day for the 05 White Sox, you know, now selling fire equipment. A little bit of a metaphorical twist there, but yeah, that's Cliff Polite. Uh, Hasn't been in the majors now for 13 years, but near and dear in my heart. 
So I'm curious to his bullpen business. They only do advertising in bullpens. <laughs> I don't, you know, I was looking up. I'm like, I was trying to find it. I couldn't find their website, but he, yeah. I got him like that's what I gotta imagine. They're like, I'll put like my company logo on a baseball. Like, yeah, that's a niche market. I mean, hey, that's how you that's how you stand out. Is, I mean, but that's the thing. That's got to be a huge industry, though. I mean, you look at like literally any event you go to, and every like companies have like crazy amounts of stuff, like pens, koozies, uh, like cell phone holder, sunglasses. So I gotta imagine he's doing pretty well for himself. He could be like the widget king of the Midwest, and we wouldn't even know it. No, that's you know that's. I think, you know, that's kind of how his major league career went, you know, kind of blew up at a second and then, but never really got too high above the radar, kind of, you know, snuck in there and he's got a ring for it. So let's wish him the same luck in the business uh, world. Yeah. Maybe he could be a sponsor of the show. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, I am doing this. This segment is about laughs and memories and nothing was better than when I've decided to search for the man, the myth, the legend, Glendon Rush. And I started wherever we always start. We start with Google, even though that LinkedIn is it's LinkedIn player profile. I started with Google. So I Googled Glendon Rush. And usually Google has a little top right in the corner. There's a picture with a mini description. It isn't Glendon Rush's picture. It's Kenny Powers from Eastbound and Down. So I knew right away this was going to be a good one. Unlike most of our searches, LinkedIn actually provided a much better synopsis of his career than Wikipedia. So I'll do that. That's surprising. Yeah, LinkedIn was all about it. Uh, Glennon Rush's Wikipedia, his baseball career starts with the injury that pretty much ended his career. That's what they talk about. I was like, okay, well, this poor guy doesn't get to showcase his, let's see, 97 to 2009, his 12-year major league career. Anyway. So we're going to go to his LinkedIn. And it was a blood clot, by the way. It wasn't your your normal injury. So, But if you see his picture, he's kind of a beefy guy. So you can kind of see it. So we'll start with his LinkedIn. He has all the teams he's played for, as some of the guys have fewer, but also a description of how he played. So for the good teams, when he was good, he would put the description for the job as throwing strikes and getting hitters out. And for the bad teams, he writes, getting Sheldon's spring training and getting released. So that's, you know, that's, that's content that'll get clicks though. Honest. He's an honest guy too. Yeah. Gotta go endorse him for that skill on LinkedIn. So from 93 to 99, yeah, definitely an endorse. Uh, He was part of the Kansas city Royals. They drafted him. And during that time he was throwing strikes and getting hitters out. Then he went to the New York Mets. I think he was best known as a Met, even though he didn't spend as much time there. 1999 to 2002, he made sure to put Shea Stadium on this one. And during that time with the Mets, he was throwing strikes and getting hitters out. Worked his way to the Brewers, who don't have a logo for their LinkedIn, which I think is, you know, amateur hour. That's just, that's just negligent at this point. I mean, man. Definitely. And to no one's surprise, while he was in Milwaukee, he was throwing strikes and getting hitters out. Then he worked his way to Texas, and that's when things change a little bit. He was there for only three months, spring training, one would assume, getting shelled and getting released. But then the Cubs came to the rescue in 2004. He pitched for almost, uh, it says three years, nine months, so three seasons. Again, throwing strikes, getting hitters out, got the blood clot, had to take some time off, tried a 
comeback with the Padres, again, throwing strikes and getting hitters out, and then did the same thing with the Rockies, and then he retired. You'd think by those descriptions that Glendon Rush was a solid pitcher because he, I mean, for most of his career, was throwing strikes and getting hitters out. But then you look at his stats. I hear that's good. That's good. That is good. Then you look at his stats. 67 and 99 with a 504 ERA. I don't know yeah, how that's, much that's not so much people getting. out he was doing. Yeah. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe that's what happened there. He was just throwing too many strikes. Yeah, just too much winning. That's yeah. Like, please, like, Mister Rush, throw some more balls. Yeah, we can't. We can't yeah. take all this accuracy. Well, that and it's like okay. Every time there's a hit, it's counted as a strike, right? Even if the ball was over in their in their eyes, like Eli's homer earlier in the week, that's still going to be called the strike in the book. So maybe that's where he's getting his his stats from. So he takes a LinkedIn hiatus from 2009 to 2014, probably backpacking in Europe to find himself. I don't know. We'll just assume. And then vice president of business development and strategic alliances uh, at 360 Elite Sports. He was there for a year, which makes me think that it wasn't the best of opportunities for his skill set, which is why he's now a pitching coach for the San Diego Padres minor league team in Lake Elsinore, California. So Ooh. he's back. He's only 44. I would not put a comeback past him in the Mexican league, much like his lookalike Kenny Powers. But that, my friends, my listeners, and you, Pat, is the legend of Glennon Rush and what he's up to these days. You think the Chicago Dogs would give him a call? I think his buddy Big Z would be more than happy to say a few nice words on his behalf or, or just shit talk him. That. Who, who knows if yeah. they liked each other? No, yeah. who knows? Maybe we'll give him a little endorsement for throwing strikes and getting batters out. Do you think if Big Z got traded to a different team within the Dogs division, he would also pick up like a, a catch-up sponsorship? Ooh. I feel like, yeah, you got you know, you to give the guy some love. That's coming back at 44. You're not, a, not only a special individual can do that. Well, and I'm saying too, because the Chicago dogs, you can't put ketchup on the dog things. Like, could you imagine like this big Z is brought to you by red big Z start brought to you by like red gold or something like that. that oh God. That'd be that. That just, uh, you, I think at that point you'd have to have the two start against each other. Definitely. Even though they're not okay, starters, so- maybe open openers. Openers. Definitely. Okay, we're going to move on. It was wonderful talking about that stuff. But uh, this is a big week for the podcast, for both teams, and for our friendship as a whole. The Crosstown Cup, brought to you by BP, British Petroleum. And for a while, they were beyond petroleum, but they decided that petroleum works. What do you think, Pat? we got two games at Wrigley Field. I believe you'll be attending one of them. I'll be working both of them. We've got two matchups coming up, Hamels versus Nova. I'm giving the nod to the Cubs. Hamels has been consistently uh, one of the better pitchers. And the next day is a very interesting one. You have Lucas Gilito, probably the best pitcher in the American League, arguably right now. Verlander obviously is going to get some votes that way. Versus John Lester, old reliable, who's been struggling a little bit. So it's going to be interesting. What is your outlook for this my outlook for the Sox is right now they're in a period of time where it's really a good barometer. Like, you know, you had the Yankees this weekend. They went two and two. You got two games set against the Cubs, and then you go to Texas. 
in the grand scheme of things, these games against the Cubs from a baseball standpoint don't matter a ton, but what I, I want to see them win one game. Just give me one of the two and I will be perfectly happy. So in all likelihood, that's Wednesday against Lucas G- with Lucas Giolito on the mound. Nothing against Ivanova, but I sure as hell feel a lot more confident in Giolito throwing. Um, but if you can, you know, take one or two against the Cubs and then go to Texas, you know, looking for a bigger win to gain some ground in the wild card, I think that's a success. Um, I, you know, some weird things happen in the Crosstown Cup, though, as I'm sure we're all aware. You got the Barrett Pierzynski brawl in 06, which I was at that game. And it's uh, like, how old was I? I don't even know, like 11, 12. That was an interesting uh, experience. Um, and then 2016, you had the, I think Chris Sale struck out Chris Bryant, like in, I think he was like 0 for 9 against Chris Sale with like nine strikeouts or something like that. And then, uh, the Sox won the Crosstown Cup that year, which really should mean that they're the World Series champions, but I digress. So, you know, weird things happen when these two teams play each other. Uh, but, you know, like I said, if I can, it, putting all meatballness aside, if you give me one win out of these two, I will take it. You're absolutely right that a lot of weird things happen. Uh, for starters, people forget that the Przinsky barrett brawl should forever be overshadowed by John Mabry literally beating the crap out of three White Sox at one time. I'll just put that out there right now. No one ever remembers it happening, but if you looked at first base, he was he was stepping in for Derek Lee, who was injured or suspended for fighting Chris Young, I want to say, something like that. They brought in John Mabry, and he was pinned up against the wall, and I honestly think he body-slammed Alex Cintrone, who might be a good LinkedIn player profile coming up in the future. That's one thing. Yeah, no, it's... Yeah, he was actually on my short list uh, doing these next couple weeks, but... Yeah, my main thing with that one is just, you know, you got the punch, you got Pesednik coming out there and just tackling Baird, and then it just devolves into chaos. Oh, it was a fun one. This series in general, like, okay, so I'm a Cubs fan, always through and through Cubs fan. I'm one of those Cubs fans, though, that I don't hate the White Sox. In fact, I like the White Sox quite a bit. Cubs first, Orioles second, White Sox, right? That's that's my pecking order. So when this series happens, all that gets thrown out the window, this is when I. This is my time of the year to hate the White Sox. I get to be amongst the other meatballs in the stands, hating on the White Sox. I'm really excited to hate the White Sox. I hate them four to six days out of the year, okay. But I also hate interleague play with a passion. I think it would be so much cooler if you didn't know in the World Series who was good. Obviously, it's it's inescapable. And this is such an old man yells at cloud argument, but at the same time, interleague play is going to stay. Doesn't mean I have to be happy about it. But I'm okay with this interleague play because it's, you know, how many train stops between the two, like six or seven. So I'm excited to see what happens. I'm like you, though. I need two wins. And it's not for the standings. Obviously, one game doesn't make a difference. It's it's for the, the bragging rights and the ruthlessness that is the other side. Cubs fans always say Sox fans are annoying. All they do is care about what the Cubs are doing and vice versa. It's the same thing. So I need two wins. And for the for no reason other than I need to see John Lester get his act together after two maybe three spotty starts. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like you know, like we talked about a couple, maybe it was even like a month or so ago now on this this rivalry though. I gotta imagine it's almost entirely in the stands. Like the rivalry on the field probably is not that big. I know at Sox Fest this year you had Nicky Delmonico saying Cubs have the most annoying fans. You know, unfortunately he's been released, so uh, they won't have that whole Yadier Molina, Chris Bryant uh, type flare up at the beginning, but I like this rivalry for me. It's all in the stands. 
definitely all in the stands. The players probably like each other. Quintana probably has more friends over there than he does with the Cubs. Probably not. I mean, obviously you make new friends, but in any case, yeah, it, it's got to be all with the fans. I didn't even remember that Nicky Delmonico did that. So that just it showed. wasn't reported on at all. I was just watching the seminar. He said it in, and then it was like probably tweeted once, and then everybody forgot about it because it was Nicky Delmonico. But it happened. Yeah, I more vividly remember John Lackey like beaning five White Sox unintentionally. This is when he just had no control, and Hawk Harrelson was losing his goddamn mind. And that oh, was... that's when he was like, oh, "I'm never going back to Wrigley." Yeah, and I I don't think we'll see him here uh, this week, but but I'd love to. I'd love to talk to Hawk if he made his way onto the field. And how could you say no if Hawk Harrelson like had this like, like this weird change of heart and be like, "I want to throw out the first pitch at Wrigley Field." He'd get booed like crazy, but I would love and eat up every second of that. Hawk would probably love that too, in all honesty. Oh, he'd love to get booed at Wrigley for sure. Okay, so that is our show, week thirteen. Very excited about the Crosstown Cup. It's going to be an even more interesting episode next week because one episode 14, we got Ernie Banks. We got Paul Canerco not coming on the show. We'll talk about him. And two, we'll have the results, the bragging rights, whatever side happens of the first half of the cup. We should actually, after we should probably make some sort of wager. We'll talk about it on the Twitter though, about, yeah, about something along those lines, Cubs versus Sox wager. So, Pat, we are going to finish this episode like we finish every episode, and it's a little bit Crosstown Cup related. I will ask you a question that you have not heard before. I know the my answer to it. You don't. You've never heard this before, so we're going to go right now with the Cub that you would like least like to see up at bat with a one run lead in the ninth. Ooh, all time, okay. not just all, right all time. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, I, it's escaping me, but I remember being at a game in, like, I want to say 20, well, it had to be 2015, where Samarja just got absolutely massacred at guaranteed rate, but I can't remember who hit off of him. So if I have to go all-time Cub, uh, if I'm going historical, I'm going Sammy Sosa. Basic answer, but I swear to God, if I have to sit there and watch that bunny hop, as a ball's like going clear over the ivy against the Sox and, like, Alex Colome just kind of hangs his head down, That'd be demoralizing, but not, I just want no part of that. Um, if I'm going a current player, which I know you said all time, I'm just going to go past and current, uh, kind of pave my own path here easily. You know, I, it, <laughs> this is kind of a weird way of going about it. Cause last week I said, if I had to pick a cub to hit a walk off against the Sox, it'd be Javi Baez. So I'm going to answer the same player just because that 90s, what night probably no, not even 90 seconds, 30 seconds of him rounding the bases would be very demoralizing. So after that, you know, I could forget it, but it was just that 30 seconds of just watching on the TV, like a slow trot, the chains bouncing. Like, yeah, that would be, that'd be too much. Okay. Anybody who's listening to the show already knows my answer to this question. It is Carlos Lee, the ultimate. El Caballo, ulti- El Caballo was the cub killer of cub killers. Batted like 435 his career against the Cubs and like 262 against the rest of the league. So that man is the bane of my existence. He always has been. I have two other ones. Not a current White Sox, but he did a ton of damage in the Crosstown Cup. Is the man Tyler Saladino. Did, did stupid damage against the Cubs. That was like the they, they, they would intentionally walk to get to him and then he just single up the middle. Double down the line. I'm like, great. 
current our current White Sox, Tim Anderson. Same reason, Javi Baez. You know, there's going to be a huge bat flip. It's going to be a slow trot. And if it's at Wrigley, he's going to get booed like crazy, even though I'd say a majority of the Cub fans love bat flips and this and that. That's, I think, yeah, no, that's a good point. Cause like, you know, against any other team, I like seeing Javi Baez. But yeah, just against the Sox for like that 30 seconds, just I'd be like, like head in my hands, like just muttering to myself. Ideally, this series is a, two game series of 20 homers and a bat flip contest between the two teams. That would be, I take that, you know, that'd that'd be an exciting way to do it. The greatest cross cup of all time for sure. Okay. That is our episode 13. Be sure to follow us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. If you can find us there, God bless, uh, LMBF sports. You can check out other sports articles written by Patrick, myself, Anybody else uh, within the Let Me Be Frank family? Pat, it's been a pleasure. We uh, we got to continue our streak of getting together on Sundays. We've been we've been lacking a little bit, so it was really good to have you, and I'm really excited to see what happens this week. Yeah, looking forward to it. You know, uh, I think you know we're gonna have a lot more to talk about next week, but I guess this was a good warm up for that. So, you know, next Sunday will be a good one. Yeah, we're getting the rapport back. Okay, guys, thank you so much. Take care. Go Cubs. It sucks.